Amen. Please have a seat. And remember, if you clap, you can't go half. You got to go all in. So, um, I want you all to have a seat, except for except for a couple of people. I'm going to ask. And everybody's getting nervous right now. Men, would you stand, please? Awesome. This is not my idea. This is a great idea. Today is Mother's Day, isn't it? So today, however is best suited for you to honor your mom or your wife, the, the mother of your children, whether it be by applause, whether it be by turn around and saying, hallelujah, you stuck with me. <laughs> whatever it is, men, let's give them a round of applause or whatever it is. Do it right now. All right, man, you can have a seat. <laughs> and maybe if she's an introvert, just kind of lean over and like, I love you. That's okay, too. <laughs> today, today is a day that's set aside to honor moms for Mother's Day, and there's, there, there's, there's something that we should do well, right? Something we should do well. Um, and, and, and that was just a small little thing there, but, but let's, we need to be honest and, and real, and it's also a day, Mother's Day, is a day when the, the church must do what the church is called to do. I'm going to explain that a little bit. Um, we must be caring for one another when there's hurt and sorrow in somebody's heart and soul. And so Mother's Day, while it's a great opportunity to celebrate and rejoice over the gifts that God has given to us in, in, in the children he has given to us or in the mom that he has given to us or in the, the wife, the mother of our children he has given to us, we must remember that there are people sitting in this room who Mother's Day is not a favorite day. In fact, there's a significant number of people, ladies, who skip church on Mother's Day. And, and what I want to make sure I do this morning is this. I want to point out to the church, to myself, <laughs> that today is a day for us to serve those women who are struggling and to serve them well. There's all kinds of reasons for it. I mean, maybe mom is not the greatest picture in your head of, of what a mom should be. She's abusive or neglectful. Maybe, um, maybe your mom's passed away recently. Um, maybe you've lost a child. Maybe it's a heartache over childlessness. In a, in a room this size, maybe it's regret over a past abortion. I mean, today is a day that can bring all kinds of emotions. And so, so while we celebrate... We need to remember, we always celebrate within a context of some level of difficulty. So, that being said, we, we, we don't neglect those who should be celebrated today. But we also can't ignore those who hurt today. And as the Church of Christ, we're in a unique position to do both. Ecclesiastes 2 tells us there's a, everything, there's a season. And there's a season for weeping, and there's a season for laughing. There's a season for mourning, and there's a season for dancing. So Uniontown, may I encourage you today, celebrate those around you well, laugh, dance. But then when those folks come to your heart 
who are mourning and weeping, then reach out to them because that's why God puts you in their life. Can we pray together this morning? Father, thank you again for the opportunity to, to know you, to love you, to serve you. Lord, I thank you for family, for church family. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not ignorant of the fact that there are women sitting in this room who had trouble getting out of bed this morning because it was Mother's Day. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them in a very specific way? And God, oh Lord, I pray you would forgive us for being the ones who pray for these people and pray that you would draw near to them and pray that you would wrap their, your arms around them and then we just pray and don't do anything about it. Forgive us. Lord, may we be your arms today for those women. May we encourage them. Lord, remind them that you are in love with them and in Christ you've forgiven them and accepted them and that their ultimate fulfillment is found in you. I pray for moms today that their kids would spoil them rotten. I pray you would protect moms from terrible food and kids who have great intentions but have no idea how to pull it off. I pray for dads that they would open their eyes and see bad things about to happen and jump in the middle. And may we celebrate these women who you've placed in our lives. Women who we'd be lost without. So Father, I thank you for their, that precious gift you've given us. Now as we look at a familiar story, guide my mouth, close it where it needs to be closed, open it where it needs to be opened. Open our eyes to the story of Jonah. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. Take your Bibles, go to the book of Jonah. Oh, but I know that story. No, 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 no. Open your book, your Bible to Jonah, I promise. Um, <laughs> so if you're, if you're a guest with us this morning, man, am I glad you're here. Um, but boy, do I have news for you. I'm about to air out some, not Union Towns, but some of the church and Christianity's dirty laundry right in front of you. So glad you're here. You might want to start blogging now. now I, I, I'm going to, my intent is to point out through the book of Jonah what the real message of Jonah is. And I know this may shock you, but it's not this dude got swallowed by a big fish. The, the message of Jonah really, I mean, if I'm going to boil it down at the beginning here and kind of give you a peek into where we're going, it's this. If, it, it's, it's that if you're breathing this morning and you have a measurable brainwave, then you are an object of God's love and mercy. Um, the difficulty is in Christianity and the church history, we, we've tended to go to the mirror and examine our faces and walk away having changed nothing. So today, may we look in the mirror, be appalled at what's smearing all over our faces and change it before we walk away. Um, Jonah. Jonah, there's, there's a couple of songs that come to mind, all of which are actually terrifying for children. Um, I'm not going to sing it. There's a great song. Talk, come and listen to my fearful tale of the ocean blue, how a man got swallowed by a whale. Yes, I know it's true. Okay, that's, that's pretty, no, not a big deal. Jonah, Jonah, did not obey God immediately. Oh, Jonah, Jonah, down in the depths of the deep blue sea. All right, not bad. Then you get to the next verse. If you try to run from God, beware! You'll discover too 
The Lord above is everywhere watching all you do. Jonah, Jonah. (laughs) See, that's what we know of the story of Jonah, but we completely miss the point. Jonah is actually mentioned not just here in the book of Jonah. He's actually, his name comes up first in 2 Kings chapter 14. There's a, just a verse given to him, chapter 14, verse 25, where it talks about how this prophet Jonah came to the king of Israel, Jeroboam II, and he said to the king of Israel, listen, you need to fortify your northern border because there are these people called the Assyrians who are going to come from the north and they're going to try to wipe you out and carry you away. So what you need to do is, is fortify your northern border to protect yourself. And so Jeroboam II actually listened to Jonah, fortified his northern border, and protected his country from the Assyrians. So that's good, but what really makes it powerful and really gives you a picture of of what Jonah saved his people from is if you understand who the Assyrians are. Boko Haram, ISIS, have nothing on the Assyrians. The Assyrians came with great strength into every country and they would find people to carry off into captivity. They would make sure that they inflicted the most pain they could. So there are accounts of the Assyrian Empire coming into countries, finding the king and skinning him alive and hanging his skin on a wall for everybody to see. They would cut off ears, fingers, noses, bury people up to their necks in the sand, nail their tongues to the ground in an effort to make sure that everybody feared them when they conquered a country. It was not unusual for them to find the leader of the military to bring him in a public forum and take a knife and put it underneath his chin into his mouth and then take a chain and run it through and lead him around like a dog. So when Jonah said, we need to build a wall at the north, the Assyrians are coming, we need to protect our people, he saved his people from the Assyrians. And everybody was grateful. So if Jonah's story ended there, he was the man. But of course, we get the story here in front of us. I'm going to read virtually the entire book of Jonah this morning, so why don't you follow along with me? We'll start in in verse 1 of Jonah, and what we find is this, the story, and this is the story that we're all familiar with, begins with this in verse 1 of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. He says, what I want you to do, Jonah, is I want you to head toward Nineveh. So, little few of us know exactly where Nineveh is. Let me throw a map here in front of you just to give you a little bit of a picture. So, the yellow dot, Joppa, that's right around where Nineveh is. That's where uh, Jonah will, uh, sorry, that's right around where Jonah is. That's where Jonah will head in a few moments. Joppa, Nineveh is over here to the, to the east. You see that, right? So, let's continue in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So, he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So, what did Jonah do? So, he's supposed to go yellow dot to blue dot. And instead, he goes to red dot. So, so let's say God speaks to you tonight in a dream, and if he does, I'd say we'll have to talk, but I may not answer. Um, and he says, go to Boston. So you head to Baltimore. 
and you get on a plane and you head towards Mexico City. That's the equivalent. So, so Jonah, instead of heading towards Nineveh, jumps in a boat and decides to head to Tarshish. I love beginning of verse 3. Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. Remember that, that incredible theological principle, sin makes you stupid? There's a picture. I can hide from God. Good luck, bud. So, so we continue in verse 4 as Jonah is running. The Lord hurled, I love the language of the ESV, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest of the sea, so the ship threatened to break up, which that's kind of funny too. The ship's like, hey, we're about to fall apart here. Getting pretty bad. The mariners, the sailors, they were afraid, and each of them cried out to their own God, and they did what? They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah... Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And the sailors are speaking to one another in verse 7. They say, come, let's cast lots that we can know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew and I uh, fear the Lord, God of heaven, the one who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. Literally it says, the men feared a great fear. And they said to him, what have you done? Because the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, so what are we going to do if the sea may quiet down for us? How how are we going to get out of this? The sea continues to grow more and more tempestuous. And Jonah said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. I know it's because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard. I mean, they they dug the oars in. They weren't going to give up. They're trying to get to land, but they could not because the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord and they said, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood because you, Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging and the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Jonah hasn't escaped yet, has he? So now picture in your head, the sailors have picked Jonah up. They've hurled him overboard. He goes into the middle of the water, and there's, there's crashing waves and huge wind. And in my head, and I'm sure it's not exactly like this, but in my head, as soon as Jonah hits the water, it stops. Enough so the sailors are like, this Lord that he was talking about who created land and sea, he's the one. Continuing our story, verse 17, the Lord had appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. And then you hear this prayer of chapter two, which is gorgeous. And then you consider the context in which Jonah is praying it. He's in the belly of a fish. Not the most pleasant place to hang out. And here's his prayer in chapter 2. I call out to the Lord. I call out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, the grave or death, I have cried. 
And God, you heard my voice. See, you are the one who cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, man, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters, they closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at at the roots of the mountains. I, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay because salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That could be the key verse of all of Jonah. That could be the key verse of the entire Bible because salvation belongs to the Lord. It's nothing that Jonah did to earn it. It's not because Jonah was a good person. It had nothing to do with it. It had to do with the fact that we have a gracious, merciful God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Okay, so now we're still familiar with the story up to this point, and particularly we're all familiar with verse 10. And I just want to express my disappointment with the author of Jonah that he changed words in verse 10. If you haven't noticed, leading up to this point, the word hurl has been used a number of times. Chapter 2, verse 10, is an excellent opportunity to complete the cycle, but no, he says, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out of the... Come on! That would have been perfect, right? He hurled him onto dry land. But no, alas, it's not to be. <laughs> One of us was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the other one's not, so let's figure that out. Jonah gets a restart in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and he said to this, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So this time Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his entire message. I know you guys are all jealous. I could try that. May not work real well. I don't do short and succinct very well. Jonah's walking across this city. The city's so big, it takes three days to get from one side to the other. And about a day's into it, he begins to say this message. The, the language there implies that he repeated it time and time again, over and over again. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet, for, I mean, that, that's it. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. It's not the most dramatic thing in the world. It actually doesn't even include the very mercy of God in his message, does it? Why? And we'll see in a couple minutes, won't we? Chapter 3, verse 5. The response of the people is amazing. The people of Nineveh, they believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh even. He arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation 
And he published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king and of his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. There's a spirit of humility in the, in the king of Nineveh, a spirit of humility in their repentance saying, we, we don't deserve mercy. So if we repent, who knows, perhaps we'll be able to taste the mercy of this gracious God who has threatened judgment upon us. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil way, God did relent of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. That's the story we know, isn't it? Let me fill in some blanks for you real quick. What was the great evil that Nineveh had to repent from? Glad you asked. See, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, that nation who Jonah had saved his people from. So isn't it interesting that Jonah at one point speaks to his king and says, man, we got to be careful. Watch the north. The Assyrians are coming in and they are bad news. They're crazy. They're going to kill us. They want to do us harm. And then the next time we hear from Jonah, it's when God says, okay, you know those crazy people? We want you to go to them and call them to repentance, Jonah. The people of Nineveh responded to God's mercy because salvation belongs to him. The only reason you can stand is, when, is because you've responded to the mercy of God. The only reason you can stand is because salvation is in his hands, not in yours. The only reason Jonah was walking on dry land is because salvation is of God. He, he should have been digested instead of hurled. And I don't know that I would pick to be fish vomit. I mean, that's probably not on my list of, boy, I wish I was that. But it gave Jonah an opportunity at life. It gave Jonah an opportunity to taste and see the mercy of God, to experience the very salvation of the Lord as he walked through Nineveh and proclaimed that if they didn't repent, God would judge them. Every single one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. And the good news of salvation, even in the book of Jonah, is that salvation is available to any and to all who would repent and believe. God is gracious, and he is willing to save anyone who calls on his name. It's, it's, it's his mercy that's poured out towards sinful pagans and selfish prophets. God's mercy is, is poured out to irreligious people and religious people. God's mercy is, is dumped on the righteous and the unrighteous, and the self-righteous. See, God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin, no matter how creative we get with our sinfulness. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that, that's really where the story stops for most of us. But as we continue into chapter 4, we get to see this very stark picture of the heart of Jonah. We'll walk through this one a little bit more slowly. Chapter 4, verse 1. Remember what just happened. The Ninevites repented, right? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
Hold on. I'm going to promise you guys something. If I preach a message and I ever be like, you know, and today's the day to call upon the name of the Lord, and some of you call upon the name of the Lord, I promise that would not be what is said of me. It displeased me exceedingly. Jonah is seeing the repentance of the people of Nineveh, and he is ticked. You want to see something more stark than that? Read the next verse with me when he starts talking to God. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my own country? I, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Okay, hold on. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? See, God, that's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because I knew you're merciful. I knew you were going to be gracious. Therefore, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so angry that God would shed his mercy on the Ninevites that he is willing to stand in God's face and, and, and accuse him of being too merciful, too gracious, too compassionate. Even though the only reason Jonah is standing there with breath in his lungs to talk to God is because of the mercy God showed him while he was in the fish. I, I would rather die than to see those people receive your grace. God says in verse 4 to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry? I love that. Because you notice there's no response, there's nothing else there. It's simply God looking Jonah in the eye saying, man, I see your heart. You are self-righteous. You are arrogant. You are selfish. You are forgetful. Should you really be angry right now, buddy? And then a scene change. Verse five. Jonah went out of the city he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. Now, now we're getting a little ridiculous, Jonah. Jonah is so angry at what's happening in, happening in Nineveh. He's so ticked that people have come to God and, and repented of their sin that now he goes to the east of the city, he gets up on a hill, he takes some, some branches and some leaves and he fastens together this little, this little booth thing that he can hide himself from the sun a little bit and he sits in it and he gazes down into the valley at the city of Nineveh waiting for the bolts to fly from heaven hoping that maybe they'll still get theirs. Lord God wasn't done with him yet. In verse 6, he says that God appointed a plant. And he made it to grow up and, and, and shelter Jonah so that it would be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. 
Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. So when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, oh, it's better for me to die than to live. Okay, so, so a little, little context of what's happening there. So, so in this area of the world, when the east wind would blow, it becomes so dry. Okay, you always hear, well, it's a dry heat. Okay, that's fine. Hot's hot. And when it's that hot, you walk outside. I've been in Phoenix when it was 112 degrees. You walk outside, and it's like all the skin in your head's like, oh, it's tight. When a scorching east wind would come, the temperature would raise between 15 and 20 degrees in a matter of a half an hour. And so, so what's happened here is this. Jonah is trying to shelter himself from the Assyrian heat. He's trying to make sure that he is comfortable. And so, so the booth is one thing. That's all fine and good. But then God allows this plant to grow up around him, and it, and it gives him some shade. And it says that he is, it's protecting him from his discomfort. So he is comfortable. And the next day, after this worm has kind of eaten its way through the plant, the plant shrivels up and it dies, and now his, his comfortable covering is gone. He's no longer able to shelter himself from the heat, and now the scorching east. I mean, so he is, he is feeling it, and he is miserable. And when he says, it's better for me to die than to live, really what Jonah is saying is, it's better for me to sit up here on this hill in this heat and die than to go into that city again and seek shelter. What Jonah is about to realize is that the plant was God's object lesson for him. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And you can hear Jonah's best imitation of a preschooler. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, you didn't make it grow, it came into being in a night, it perished in a night. So, so let, me, let me explain what God's saying. He said, listen, Jonah, you, you, you're going you're gonna to be so angry, I'm going to analyze your anger for a moment. Let's look at this plant. You, you, you're so concerned about this beloved plant that it really can't mean that much to you, Jonah. Your attachment to it can't be very deep. I mean, it was here one day, gone the next day. And not only that, your, your, your concern for it is simply dictated by your self-interest and your comfort, not genuine love. You, you, you never put any effort into this plant. You didn't even have the devotion of a gardener. You didn't have to dig around it. You didn't have to water it. You didn't have to make sure the sun got to it. You didn't make sure that it had the nutrients that it needed. You didn't do any of the work that a gardener would have had to do. If you feel as bad as you do about that plant dying, imagine what the gardener feels like who spent all that time, energy, and effort to get this plant to be healthy and to live. Then he watched it die. Verse 11 says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. 
God says, the way the gardener would feel about that plant is the way that I feel about Nineveh. All of those people, even all of those animals, I made them, I created them, I cherished them. Nineveh has cost me no end of effort, no, um, no ease at all. I have spent all this time and an investment in them. They're created in my image, and those people mean the world to me. And yet you would walk through their land and say, light them up, God. Your pain over the loss of a plant is nothing compared to mine when I contemplate their destruction. A little bit of a difference between the heart of Jonah and the heart of God, isn't there? Church. Who's your Nineveh? Who's your Nineveh? We all have one. Who's your Nineveh? Is it an overbearing boss at work? Some little little kids who run around the grocery store too fast with their carts and run over the back of your foot, which really hurts, by the way. Is it the, the fella who cuts you off in traffic? And I'll be honest, that was me this week, and if that was you, I apologize, didn't see you. Maybe your Nineveh is a family member or an extended family member who continues to mock you and attack you or your loved ones because of your faith. Honestly, it it has been in, in some places, an age demographic. Those young people or those older folks Who, who are the people or the, who is the person who you can't fathom seeing come to know Jesus Christ and experiencing the mercy of God? Is it somebody who hurt you by violating your trust? Maybe it's an ex. Honestly, it may really be ISIS, you may be a person who has made the comment, I just wish God would wipe them off the face of the earth. What we must understand is this, God has called us to see other people as the objects of his love and mercy, not the objects of our hatred. Do you do well to be angry? Or do you see them as God sees them? Who's your Nineveh? Have you forgotten why you're sitting here this morning? Have you forgotten that your standing before God has nothing to do with your righteousness or your goodness, your good deeds, your merit? Have you forgotten that the only righteousness that you have is Christ's and it's been given to you? Have you forgotten 
that your acceptance in God's eyes and, and what made uh, his mercy available to you was not you living in the right part of the world, but instead was because of Christ's finished work on the cross? Have you forgotten that your sin was so heinous that Jesus had to die for you? Or have you deceived yourself into thinking that you somehow deserve his mercy? Mm, There's kids here. And everyone else can just burn for eternity. May that not be so. May we not sit on this hill and look at those who surround it with disdain and disgust in our eyes. But instead, may we see them as God sees them. People who are lost, who need a savior. People who are condemned to hell. Do you see them as real and living and breathing people who will spend eternity in hell unless you share the gospel of God's grace with them? Who's your Nineveh? May this question be heavy on our hearts this week. Am I Jonah? Or do you see those who have made your life uncomfortable, difficult, and dangerous through the eyes of God? It's about way more than a fish, isn't it? May we have the heart of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for for a serious reminder today. Uh, it's Mother's Day. I would love to do the light and fluffy, but hey, this is what you put in front of us and this is what we're dealing with. So God, I pray in this moment, whoever is sitting within the, 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 the distance of being able to hear my voice, that God, if they don't know Christ, that they would understand that just like the Ninevites, it doesn't matter what they've done and how far they've gone, that, that your grace is greater than any sin that they've ever committed. Today, they may just be here because mom guilted them into being here. Praise God. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to draw them to you. And and, and Father, that in this moment, they would understand that they are a sinner and they need Jesus. And that they would understand that you are such a great God that you can overcome any obstacle to save them. Lord, let's be honest, um, we all have an Nineveh in our hearts. Uh, Some of them are political, some of them are personal. All of them are real. Lord, break our hearts for those people. Break our hearts for those people and may we be reminded that you can save anybody. Lord, I pray you would save them all. That we would open our mouths and speak to the goodness and grace and mercy that you've shed in our lives instead of being like Jonah, hoarding it all for ourselves. Lord, I pray you'd be glorified, you'd be praised. We love you. We thank you for your power and your strength. Amen.